This is Squirrel and Moose for April 6th, 2017. I'm Dylan Wilbanks. And I'm Kyle Weems. And we are back from... What was the phrase you just used for us, that we're a two-man LARP? Yeah, you know, uh, we're uh, clearly, you know, we get online approximately weekly, although we've had a conference season we just came through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we we record a show. We pre- we go through the motions. We pretend to be podcasters, right? <laughs> but it never goes anywhere from there. We always forget to uh, put it together and put it up. So, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's another episode of our two-man LARP skit. Um, yeah, and it's really avant-garde stuff. Oh, you don't even get me started, though. I've been, I've been reading a lot into uh, in, indie tabletop and LARP game design, and the community out there gets some very interesting things. There's like one-man LARPs, one-person LARPs, which is um, weird. What you know? is that like? Is that like 127 hours one-man LARPs? Yeah, yeah, it's it's right. No, seriously, it, it it's. I mean, really, these these one man LARPs, and and there are people that make some of them, and that they get way too much attention, uh, are basically engaging in a sort of guided creative thought exercise, you know, imagination, but with direction, um, which isn't entirely different from other forms of role playing, other than the fact that you know, it's just you talking to yourself. So yeah, I don't know. Um, two people is a jump up. You know, you've already improved the quality of the room there just by having a second person. But we didn't even make character sheets, so this is pretty freeform. You know, we could. I mean, I don't see why we haven't created. I mean, I don't know if you saw that Metafilter actually ran an RPG and on, on April Fool's Day this year. I think I saw something to that effect. That's I awesome. Mean, I mean, I don't see why we couldn't have character sheets. Right? I mean, what, what, what would what would what would be I mean, what, what would, would we... the traits be? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I was asking. I mean, yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, maybe you know, you. I guess it would would it be like the different modes of like kind of conversation, or is it like about you know, like say uh, the different type of topics might have different ratings in. Mm. I mean, you're you're trying to determine success, so yeah, um, yeah. Are there classes? You know, or the different like categories of podcast hosts that have different capabilities um that's true and then maybe you have sponsorship and maybe sponsorship also is uh like it gives you a certain advantage if you if you're sponsored by squarespace yeah and see sponsorship could also be like a kind of a leveling mechanic as your sponsorship improves the podcast gets better so you get more capabilities congratulations you've leveled up to harry's razors (laughs) Oh, this is disturbing, Dylan, because this actually works. <clears throat> if I'm you not know, careful, I'm going to make this. Um, I mean, I've been making you're, weird If you're not careful, like, you're going to make this. In other words, what you're saying is, you're going to make this. Yeah, I'm not careful enough. I mean... You I have just, to do this. Dude, you have to do this. I do have to do this. I have to do this. I mean, I recently just released a... a, a <laughs> released. Uh, one person downloaded it. A... Uh, a, a tabletop RPG that's basically about punching vampires, which that's almost the entirety of it. But it has, you know, good combat mechanics to uh, punch vampires. So this is a little more avant-garde than that, but I did make a game once that was about um, the dating life of people living in the Underdark, you know, the D&D setting. Yeah. So um, this is maybe at least better than that, as far as weirdness level. But the point is... It could be quite fun. It it could be. It could be. Um, 
Yeah. You know, I, I almost wonder if it would be better served as some sort of like board or card game, you know? Yeah. I mean, yes, but at the same time, I'm kind of sitting here going, it, it almost sounds better as a, as a small RPG, right? Like a two to four person RPG in which you have to organize a podcast, you have to publicize a podcast, you have to come up with topics, um, you have to roll for initiative in talking about <laughs> topics, you um, you do level up, and leveling up is like you move to the Harry's Racers level, then you move to the Casper Mattress level, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, and then I would also like see things like you you find things like you find the NPR voice. Ooh, yeah. Although that's apparently very popular, is the uh, NPR voice. It's the the. I, did we discuss this before? It's the people who aren't trained, you know, in in radio like us, or at least like me. I don't know about you, but uh, they just listen to NPR over and over until they get the timing and the voice down. Of, um, was it Ira Glass? Usually they're imitating Ira, Ira Glass. Ira. Ira. MC. I don't listen to enough NPR. from the BBC in Chicago. I'm our glass. This is this is sorry. This isn't that isn't right. It's it's got to be a little. I'm nasally, but it's got to be a little more. It's got to be a little bit deeper. I'm Ira. I'm Ira Glass. This week, spam. See, there we go. Act, act one, spam a lot. You know, if you just chose to do that, I mean, you know, in character, uh, we would probably skyrocket on the uh, um, the Apple sales. What, what do they call that? The, the I, I don't even remember the name of the store anymore. Apple Music Store? Whatever. Wherever they put their podcast. I don't know what it is anymore, but... No, I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, this is... You this know, this is, is this is weird because, you know, I don't think you're wrong. I think this would actually be vaguely entertaining. And worse yet, I know enough people... You know, I've been trying to follow indie game designer Twitter, specifically mm-hmm. the tabletop LARP group as opposed to the uh, video game group. Because there's some overlap, but they're very different in many other ways. Uh, tabletop uh, and indie designer um, Twitter is, first off, it's a lot more... Um, gay literally as in there's a lot of people that are not just straight white men in the design space there which is great because mm-hmm. it's very interesting but uh, they also have really really weird larps that are like two man larps with really strange premises two person larps with really strange premises that uh, often have you know almost no mechanics or very arbitrary mechanics and you know are recreating what on the surface would be very boring experiences like waiting at an immigration center to be processed in the Sweden as a two day mm. as a two day LARP, but that, that's the that's the Scandinavians. They get really weird um, because they'll do something incredibly dark and mundane simultaneously, and it's basically you, your whole weekend is committing to that. Um, so if it, this if I was to release a LARP that's like this is the rules for playing a hosting your own podcast LARP, and by the time you're done, you will have made a podcast. People will be like, genius! Here's an award. I mean, it'll be printed on, like, paper, you know? There's not a lot of money in this design space, but it'll still no. be... I could frame it, basically. Um, but I'm just saying, I mean, this would be... This is the sort of weird avant-garde stuff that, honestly, <laughs> I bet if the four people who are going to listen to this were out there and we told them, we're going to release an RPG that is about 
be recording your own podcast and becoming popular and about finding particular things. Oh, and I forgot because, you know, the DM in this is going to have to figure out the topic, right? <laughs> and so there's going to be the whole, okay, it's a strange murder case and you, the, the guy you believe is innocent. So you're going to do a whole thing like that. And then halfway through they can go, and it turns out he's on the phone. And he admits he killed him. What are you going to do? <laughs> oh, see, so that's pretty advanced level there. Now we're going for like cereal and stuff. Um, I'm just saying, I mean, just saying. this is, this is, I'm liking this idea. It's, I it's think a, it could be really funny. It's a pivotal moment. I'll, 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 I'll throw some stuff against the wall, see what happens. Um, you know, in between my uh, RPG about fishing that I'm working on, uh, and also let's see what other weird one am I doing, and also the one involving fairies, but uh, you know that's a work in progress. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I you know, the funny part is I actually believe you with your enthusiasm here, which is, I'm, you know, hey. it, it's it's rare, it's rare. So um, for you to um, uh, be, I mean, because you're kind of like. RPG adjacent, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, you're definitely a game, you know, play games, uh, tabletop, board games, and card games in particular, as well as video games, but not as much in the, uh, you know, roll dice. And I mean, I guess really fantasy football is to an extent kind of a form of role playing, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're playing the position of owner, coach both i guess owner right because you're not really deciding plays you're only getting points based on players performance right yeah you know the funny thing is this is i quit fantasy baseball this year why because after 17 years in this league i just finally last year i think i looked at my team twice and I went, you know, it, the, the fun's just not there anymore. I'm going to try something else. You got it. You have to upgrade now. You have to go to something weirder. Um, with yeah, like two man LARP podcast, uh, two man podcast LARPs, um, or D and D. Watch out. You know, I know some of the listeners of the show would drag you into a game as quickly as they could. Oh, their listeners in the show would would be over here with a dart gun and about if, if they <laughs> if they could actually get a shot on me and would drag me into something about you're an orc. And I'm like, aren't the orcs the bad guys? You're an orc! Yeah, see, I've actually always had that problem with D&D. We're going way afield here. But I've always had that problem with D&D in that there are inherently evil races as a design feature, even in 5th edition. So, you know, orcs and goblins and a number of other species are categorically evil, right? Mm. Not like culturally different therefore you can interpret them that way they're just literally evil in the like on the spectrum and i always felt that was a really um there there's a real some really fascinating um deconstructions of the kind of narratives that occur in classical uh tabletop role playing games mm -hmm. regarding these sort of you know hangovers from tolkien as it were you know yeah. because like you know tolkien a lot of great stuff also kind of some problematic stuff, you know? Like all the Southerners that were backing Sauron that happened to be all the black people in the world, you know? Yeah. That was, that was a little awkward. Uh, obviously, you know, he viewed women's place as being at home, considering, I think, 
Eowyn is literally the only woman that does any kind of adventuring whatsoever. And yes. even then, is kind of portrayed as only vaguely competent until her moment of heroism, you know? Well, no, I mean, it's clear that she has competence. It's just, you know, that's cute She's little lady. That's cute little lady. Like, let's step out of the way. Let the men take care of this this battle here. Right. It's just, <laughs> it's like she's literally never given the opportunity to show it. You know, there and the characters around her are like, you should never have to do this. Never like, uh, well, I guess if you want, you know. And I'm like, excuse me, Eowyn is the one who basically flips the battle, and it's just kind of like. Oh, you know, it's cute. The sometimes the ladies get involved in the war, and it's just kind of funny. And yeah, they even kind of underplay that, don't they? I don't think she even gets thanked for it. No, she doesn't. She just gets to marry Faramir, and we're done. Right, and it's like the marriage reward. (sighs) Yes, exactly. It's like I'm sorry, but you know, there were two things that flipped that goddamn battle. One was going down there and and getting the things that I forgot the, the the dead army. Right. That basically got them the ability to out to to flank the to flank more uh, Mordor's army, um, and then of course Eowyn basically taking out the king, which essentially meant that they were like, "Well, shit, our best our best guy on the battlefield's gone. What are we gonna do? I don't know. <laughs> um, what are we supposed to do? There's an undead army killing us, and we just lost the king to a lady." How, how did we miss that one? Right. How, 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 how did we miss that? You know, have you ever considered like, what if it was like a language translation problem? You know, it's like, I can be killed by no man. And she like stabs him and nothing happens because there's like a, you know, gender neutral version of the word in the original prophecy. And he's just saying it in Westron. So that way she understands him. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could imagine. Uh, crap, of course. Of course. I understand now. I could be killed by no human. Um, I mean, especially considering it's could Tolkien. Could you come over here and stab him at the same time? I think it's a singular in that language. <laughs> right, that might work. Um, because, uh, and granted, um, you know, they did have uh, the little hobbit there. Uh, gosh, I forget which one now. It's not Pippin. Mary. Mary was there. Mary. So it's like the uh, – wow, we're, we're way off. But but especially because Tolkien was such a language junkie, right? You oh, know? yeah. I mean, I mean – So I could have almost seen him having some sort of weird divergence mid-battle. It's like, well, actually, in the original Elven – insert whatever. Um, well, I mean, keep in mind that he does that with the entrance the to the mines, right? Yeah. Which, which is the whole friend. Well, wait. What's the actual word? What's the actual word in the Elvish in the in the in the Dwarven? I can't remember what it was. Oh yeah, it's this word. Boom, door opens. You know. Well, and now the funny part is it had to be Elvish because the Dwarven language was secret, right? So right. you know, which is weird. It's like so you're writing Elvish because you guys got along so well. Right. I know it's 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 kind of like imagine of imagine if you, we would not let the Russians would not let anyone learn their language, so they wrote everything in English. Yeah, that, it seems like that'd be a little counterproductive after a while, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it could also be graffiti. That would be another thought is, you know, there's that <laughs> the elves are just kind of graffiti masters. Anyway, you know, we're now 16 minutes into this recording and we have covered 
uh, RPGs and the insanity of of Tolkien. Tra- a Tolkien. So we so, should yeah. actually talk about something that we said we were going to talk about before this. Should we talk about code? Yeah, let's talk about code. Although, as speaking a side of note, languages. We, speaking of languages, although as a side note, we did say we were going to talk about happy stuff today, right? You know. Yeah, yeah, we were going right? to talk about happy and stuff. We yeah. ironically were talking about happy stuff, but yeah. So, uh, code languages. Yes, um, I think you tweeted something about this a few weeks back, or was it just a conversation you and I had? Uh, during a previous recording, I think actually I tweeted about it. Um, I don't remember how many weeks ago it was because it has been like twelve years since we recorded the last podcast. <laughs> right, we we've we've each been either at a conference or attending a major life event of a friend for like the past six weeks, I think. Yeah, um, which doesn't justify the previous three months we haven't published anything. But that's back to the two men. Ah, oh, yes, I found it now. Yes, that was it was nearly a month ago. Um, I I will read the tweet. After essentially seven years off from web development, here's what I have to say about those designers should code people. Nope. (laughs) You know, I always felt that it's more important for a designer to be aware of... Be aware of code, right? So, So the way I see it is, a good architect understands materials and the process of building a building. An architect should not be laying bricks. Now, there may be moments when an architect will be laying bricks, but one would hope that if the architect is laying bricks, it's because the architect is working on a project where he cannot hire a bricklayer. Now, the danger of this analogy is that the architect is a very skilled laborer and developers are unskilled labor. Which I am not saying is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm like, what, let, what I am we, saying we, is, The flame war could start. Um, <clears throat> what, I, what I am... And, you know, I've been very conscious of this lately. I, I've been very... You know... I, I, in a certain level of design, you start to see developers as order, as order takers. You see them as short order cooks. And I don't think that's true. But the way I see it myself is... A good designer builds a system where the developer can spend their brain power on the hard things while not having to worry about the easy things, right? Um, And in that world, I think it's good if designers understand how it's built. But... Seven... I mean, the last time I really wrote code was... I would probably say late 2010, early 2011. Now, I mean, I wrote wow. some CSS here and there in 2011, but keep in mind that we were supporting IE6. So it wasn't even modern. Um, so a lot has changed. Well, let's put it this way. In 27, in 2007, is that what you said? It was 2007 or 2010? 2010. 2010. So 2010, the iPhone had only been around for three years. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, IE6 was still a problem. You know, there was the amount of things. So yeah, that's quite a long time to have gone sort of code-free. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's um yeah. So it's it's like Rip Van Winkle. You yeah. wake up, you wake up and the world is completely different. 
and the first question out of your mouth is, what the hell is gulp? <laughs> you know, and... I still don't have a good answer for that one. Um, and, yeah, I mean, so the first time... So I got involved in... So I'm using SAS, I'm using Vue, I'm using... Um, Vue as in the JavaScript framework, V-U-E. Yeah, yeah which Vue is basically a stripped-down React for all sense and purposes. Yeah, it's been described as the React 2, it's the React 2 that should have that should have been versus the <laughs> React uh, 2 that is. Uh, 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 React, React doesn't have version 2, to my knowledge. But um, sure. Uh, oh, sorry. It's it's Angular 2. Oh, there we go. That's what okay. I mean. It's basically yeah. ang- it's the Angular 2 that should have been Angular 2, but is not Angular 2 because Angular 2 is just weird. I still can't believe that Angular 2 is still a thing, really, honestly. But um, I guess it goes to show. Uh, so, um, so you're using Vue. You're using SAS. Uh, what else? Um, so Vue, SAS, um, Gulp is gluing it together. NPM is gluing pieces together. Yeah, because I'm assuming uh, you're using NPM for package management. I'm surprised you weren't jump, jumping to Yarn or something. That's so annoying. Suddenly, yeah, so every, suddenly, suddenly I mean, everyone's writing like, everything in Yarn now. It's like I'm halfway through it and they're like, oh, yeah, so you should be using Yarn. I'm like, what the hell? Right. I don't even know what – I don't even – so – Oh, and so Foundation as a partial framework for the front end, but only partial. Now, Foundation uh, is a uh, CSS framework. Uh, Foundation is a it's it's a it's a bootstrap, I would call it. Um, but so it's it's a, it's a different. It I always like bootstraps. I always like Foundation's bit, grid better than Bootstrap because they were they had a responsive grid before Rootstep was ever did it. It's lighter and too, isn't it? It's a little lighter, but it's also a little more painful to work with because it's really heavy in spots. Oh, I see it's uh, got HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Okay, that's a bit messy. And it can get very messy. And I discovered the hard way that if you don't invoke the right thing in the right place, it's so awesome. Um, so, <laughs> so we're just trying to handle basic. So anyway, here's what I discovered the hard way. <clears throat> you should not use homebrew to install something and then have NPM run it. Because here's what happens. Homebrew holds on to all of the permissions. So if you run anything out of NPM, NPM demands you sudo. When you sudo, you then basically screw up all the permissions of all the things, and pretty soon things are colliding all over the place. And then pretty soon, this has actually happened to me. I couldn't run the code because it turned out it was not upgrading a... a what was it? One of the packages? G- yeah, it was no It was no JIP. It was not upgrading no JIP correctly. It was not the right one, but it wouldn't ever tell me that because the thing that was owning with own no JIP was actually brew, homebrew, not npm. <laughs> which meant I had to. I'm not kidding. Uninstall npm. Uninstall homebrew. Install npm. Yeah. So package managers are package managers are the devil. Yeah. So. You know, uh, let's see. In, in my stack, uh, with, with my company, where we use Node and NPM, of course, um, so that's our package manager, and uh, we use React instead of Vue, uh, SAS, obviously. Um, every now and then, I have to use Angular because of the back office of the CMS I'm in uses Angular, mm-hmm. so that's exciting. 
Uh, and then we use um, either Grunt for really small projects, or we use when it's a React project, we'll use Webpack for the uh, the builder. You know. Oh God, uh, yes, Webpack. Oh my God. And never mind various ES six slash Babel slash. I'm not sure what they're calling it. You know. Um, uh, functionality that requires various modules in order to yeah. uh, polyfill what allegedly browsers will be like someday. So which yeah, I, which I totally love, but yeah. And so anyway. yeah, no, go on, please. No, I, I was just going to say, I mean, Webpack is a pain in the rear. It, I it had to really I had is. the worst time moving things around. I mean, the, the there's a, you were pointing out to me earlier that uh, Gina Trapani wrote an article um, that was in medium about, basically her go- feelings of going through the exact things. And one of the things that she said is you spend as much time setting things up now as you do actually writing code. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. I think I actually, I mean, it, it the way it used to be, right? <laughs> All right, kids, gather around. Gather around, kids. I'm going to tell you how things used to be. I mean, it's like this. It's like, it's like the old line about uh, from Carl Sagan, where he says, "If you want to make an apple pie, first you must create the universe." And it's like back in the old days, if we wanted to make an apple pie, we cut some apples up and put it inside of a crust, and we throw it shove it in the oven, and apple pie. And that's how it was. You wrote JavaScript, you wrote HTML, you wrote yeah. CSS, and shut them together, and you were all good. And now it's like, no. Actually, you need to have 85,000 dependencies, and then you got to do 27,000 things, and then you can write Hello World. Yeah, it's it's insane and inane. And, you know, the funny part is, so I was there as this was happening. You know, I've been in the JavaScript trenches forever, trying to get respect as a, quote, front-end developer. Um, and ironically, these frameworks kind of help because they're so complicated that once you have them in a project, it's not like you can just bring in any old person but um and even for me it was just really rough transition at times kind of like toggling over it's like okay we're using angular or react and all right we're using webpack and it's like how do we configure webpack and you know make sure you've got node and you know and you know and and suddenly every javascript tutorial involves command lines Mm -hmm. right it's no longer like oh this is a cool bit of code i want to use this on my website where do i download the javascript file so i can it's like, no, 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 no. You got to load this into your project, typing node, blah, 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 npm install, and then you got to connect it in this way, and then make sure to do an include, and it's it's insane. It it's, is. We're not teaching JavaScript anymore. We're, we're, we're teaching some sort of layer above it, you know, uh, with a well, lot more, uh, or below I mean, it. We're take, take, I mean, we're... What happened was the coders got a hold of JavaScript and they're trying to work with JavaScript the best way they can. And I totally understand the problems with this. However, however, here's the thing. The thing that always made the the web work really well was the ability for people to enter this from a direction that wasn't needing to have a CS degree. Which, by the way, I find really hilarious because there is, if you go take CS in every camp, in every place in America, you're going to learn one of three languages. <laughs> you're going to learn Java, you're going to learn Python, or in a rare case, you might learn C. You're yeah. never going to learn JavaScript. 
Yeah, I think I've heard of a couple of universities that are finally switching towards JavaScript because it's actually usable. Um, it is weird, this sort of like Python, Java, um, and even like C, like C, not even like C Sharp or C++ or some sort of, I don't know, F. It's just old school 1980s C. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. I mean, they'll teach you fundamentals, right? But even Java is not the language it used to be when it comes to, uh, you know, landing a job at any old agency with, you know, outside of certain demographics. So, oh, yeah. I know. It, I know. I mean, it's – so there. there's – the funny thing is I actually like Vue. I like Vue for – the reasons that I hated Angular, which is even weirder, because I hated Angular. The first time I saw Angular, I'm like, this thing is a pile of shit. Oh, I still hate Angular. Um, I've got some good stories um, about why I had to learn it, but I hate Angular. But I'm like, I get into it, and I'm like, number one, it's all mustache-based code. Which is cool. Is cool, so it's basically templatable. Two, you can segregate the, the JavaScript and and the... And the HTML section, which is really a view file. Three, it's it's highly objectable if you want it to be. You can call things in, call things out, and and four. I mean, the nicest thing about it is just the ability to is you have two way binding. I'm like, oh my god, two way binding is amazing. And I'm which just is funny because most of those features exist in Angular. <laughs> yes, I know, and but it's like everything that is so called good about Angular that I hated because Angular is a pile of shit to work with. It is. It's like, it's like the guy basically went, okay, what would happen if we took Angular and took the good parts out and then burn the bad parts in a really hot fire, like hotter <laughs> than the sun itself until it was fully incinerated and just, and just atomized. And then it was cast off into the outer darkness and we just kept the good parts. And then we had mustache based, based code. I mean, based um, templating, which, which again, Angular uses a lot, I, and I think that's I think that's cool. Like Angular is emblematic of, and even React has this problem at times, of such highly opinionated code, and of course, Angular is super, super, super opinionated, that there's all this extra level of difficulty or work just to do a simple task. Yeah, you know, and it's I, insane the amount of boilerplate to do anything with Angular. And I'll say the one really nice thing about Vue is. It has an opinion, but it also would love to hear what you think. <laughs> Nicely said. Um, you know, I've been trying to uh, – I, I was trying to talk the boss into this, um, uh, trying it out on the next project. But, but he's not going for it because he's like, we don't need to relearn another you know, framework. That was a horrible impersonation. Uh, but um, – I might have to try this out in a, a private project because I'm just flipping through it now as we're discussing it. And it seems kind of sort of like robust but lightweight. Mm -hmm. Is that a is that a fair assessment? Um, yeah, I mean, I, it is. And I've been really surprised. There are – it's quirky. It, uh, I've managed to see – some really bizarre bugs come out of it. My all-time, my favorite so far was um, Vue doesn't come with a router. So you have to bring your own router to it. Well, that's not and, uncommon, weirdly enough. For some reason, know, people choose I never know. to do that, like, by default. That's the new thing nowadays. Because I mean, Angular, of course, 
had a router. View, you got to use... There is a view router, but you don't have to use the view router. You can use whatever router you want. It's one of those weird sort of... We have opinions. We'd love to hear what you think. Please write in. Um, so, it turns out it's really easy with the router to accidentally route to a page that doesn't exist with a default to a page that doesn't exist and essentially create a gargantuan memory leak that causes a stack, a, an insane stack overflow within a matter of seconds. Because <laughs> it, it like, just can, going back on itself, back and forth? That's it great. basically just keeps going back and going, okay, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go here, and oh, shit. So, yeah, I was like, wow, that is an amazing bug. Yeah. Anywho. Um, okay, so... While I'm talking about this stuff, I want to mention, also, while I'm thinking about it, um, CSS has changed radically in the last few years. And, you know, the thing I'm loving is that CSS Grid is now supported by every browser except for except for um, Edge. But today, uh, during Event Apart this week in Seattle, some random guy in the Microsoft group or whatever gets up in front and it's like, I am going to announce that we are going to start thinking about supporting it. And it's just <laughs> like, from what I heard, the entire room just stares at him and goes, that's so Microsoft. It's it's really weird, their adoption speed for these kinds, especially with Edge, right? Yeah. Like the whole idea for Edge is implicit in the name it's supposed to be like a chrome style development life cycle you know keep on the cutting edge blur 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 but they can't let go of ie it seems you know yeah i know they, just... they can't let go i mean it, they're they're a company that wants to ship a great browser but it has absolutely no idea how to ship a great browser because it spends so much time still fighting over what exactly the business case is for, for whether or not we deserve to have Rebecca Purple. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, you know, all things considered, the the thing that the things that are good about Edge, you know, are the fact that they did blow up the whole thing and start over again. It's a lot cleaner and faster. And Chrome has just become... Chrome has turned into what Firefox was five years ago. So where, just, does, where does that make Firefox now? <laughs> Um, old, decrepit, and slowly dying in a in, in <laughs> under its own weight, crushing itself under its own weight. It's sad and disappointing. I mean, and I love Firefox in the day, but it's like even I think it was like in 2010 or so they had a weird um, memory leak where it would just crash after about 30 minutes of using it. And I got so fed up, I went to Chrome and never looked back. Yeah, I've been using Chrome for I don't even know how many years now. And it, every now and then I'll have to test in Firefox, and it just feels like such an aberrant experience. But that said, I've not in any way, shape, or form jumped to Edge to speed things up. But I imagine with less, um, you know, back trail of code, it probably is a lot faster. It, it, I feel like every now and then a browser just a browser maker has to kind of like start a parallel development of a brand new browser, you know, to kind of yeah. clean out the cruft, um, which is almost certainly an expensive endeavor, but seems to be a necessity. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, yeah. Um, 
deep sigh. So code. Talk, so code. Do we want to talk about CSS? Uh, you know, uh, let's do it. So the downside is, weirdly enough, I never touch CSS anymore. Uh, just recently, over the last couple of weeks, I've been kind of cludging in because, you know, I'm working on like a back office package for the CMS we're on and, you know, the designer didn't have time or the front end of, you know, the front end or that was responsible for CSS didn't have time. So I'm like, you know, experimenting with, you know, things. And I was trying to line up some rows of stuff and I, you know, stumbled across, I'm like Flexbox and it's like, holy crap, that's nice. You know? And it's hard. It's, 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 it's not intuitive. You know, that's for sure. It's very unintuitive and it kind of shocked me the more I worked with it of like, so, when I first heard CSS Grid was coming out, I'm like, why do we need CSS Grid? There's Flexbox. Then I started using Flexbox, and I'm like, when's CSS <laughs> Grid coming out? It's weird, too, because Flexbox isn't even that old, right? No, no, it's, it's yeah. It's and, funny that they kept the production of both up instead of going, no, we should probably get rid of this and do this one instead. Well, I mean, there are certain things that make Flexbox really useful. For instance, the fact that you can, for the first time ever, center or baseline align three bo- three container boxes inside of it, next to each other. Do you know how hard that has been forever? Yes, I, I do. I was there. I was there when we were when remember when two column layouts where your secondary column needed to be in front of your primary column, but you yeah. wanted the te- you wanted the 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 HTML to be in a different order in the document for the purposes of searching. Remember how annoying that was? Do you remember and like the, how everyone was looking for the magical solution? Do you remember the moment when you disco- when you discovered that you could use negative margins to reverse the order to change the order of things the way they appeared in the non CSS version, but would correctly put it in the right order in the in the in the yes, visual version? Exactly. And then you that. were just like, Oh my god, I never knew this. And then remember when you were trying to do three column designs with that? And then, oh, and then, do you remember when bloody Ethan Marcotte stood in front of everyone in Seattle, which I missed the conference for, and mm-hmm. introduced um, bloody responsive design, and then everything you knew, and then it's just like was gone. Boom! Oh, great! You know what? Congratulations! Now we have to talk about exactly what happens when you go from one device to another. Oh my gosh! And wait a second here. If you're using the phone and you're using the computer, are you using it for the same thing or are you using it for different things? Are the contextual things you have for it or not? And right. next thing you know, you're waking up and you're like, why is it on LinkedIn? I can't give anybody an endorsement on my phone. Because, you see, we didn't think anyone would want to do that because it's responsive design. And you're yeah. like, I'm going to hurt you. Ray, I don't, I don't think they were paying attention. <laughs> uh, it's... It's fascinating that we're now at the point where, I mean, remember when it used to be that, and I know that there's still some holdouts, but when on average, if there was a mobile version of the site, it was a separate subdomain, right? Mm -hmm. With its own content. If you're lucky, it was a clone of the content minus some features and its own styles and all that. And now it's just, it's assumed to be the same site. And yeah, every now and then some jack-off will hide features because they don't think you want to use it, but it's like... You know, um, that that's becoming less common, it, with the exception of you know every bloody door blocker ad and them convincing you to go to the bloody app store, because you know the native app is always a better experience. Yes, and for almost nothing. Yeah, I know, and it, it's it's. 
It's weird when it's a form. Like, I'll have form software suggest that I download the app. It's like, really? Is it, you're, a, you're a forum. I mean, I, I get Twitter and Facebook to an extent because, you know, the notifications, right? Um, I always sort of wish that um, Firefox's um, Firefox OS, their mobile OS, had had a little more traction because it was trying to do stuff like have website-based notifications being pushed to your device instead of having to have an app as a proxy for that. Mm-hmm. Right, and there was a lot of bad things about Firefox OS. It certainly never had the robustness that was necessary to be even a second-class service. Mm-hmm. But um, and, I, and I'm wrong. There isn't like some sort of weird feature where we're getting notifications to devices from websites without apps, right? Am I missing out on some cool API that's been adapted? Like I don't think so. No, no. I mean, it's it's. You know, everything's still getting written in Swift, and for what good Swift has been. I mean, the only good things I'll say about nowadays with code is that despite the fact it takes about 20 years to actually lay all the things out you need to to actually be able to write the thing that you want to write, once you actually get there, it's way easier nowadays to write something that is going to be responsive, that is going to be accessible, that is going to be, that's going to work in every browser, that's going to give you the ability to, you know, between SAS and and the, and the view Angular React sort of world and the use of routers, between all of those things, I think we finally have reached a point where we're actually really building a real web. I, I, I think you're probably right, and then Jeremy Keith comes crashing in like an angry tiger. Yeah, well, like an, like a combination of the Kool-Aid man and an angry tiger. An angry tiger Kool-Aid man, right? Like, oh, man, that's brilliant. It's like, oh, no! Yeah, it's um, every time he writes, without mm-hmm. fail, um, I feel a little sad. Like, I think he, it's like, do you ever, it's like, I wonder, in, in the realm between, say, you know, the obsessiveness that some of this JavaScript framework's gone, right? Because it gets crazy, right? Yeah. There's no doubt about it. And it can be implemented poorly consistently, and it is. Mm-hmm. And then kind of like the old man drawing a line in the sand back in my day, get off my lawn nature of Jeremy Keith, which is like use less JavaScript, preferably none for everything, you mm-hmm. know? There, there's a whole world between these two things that people can fit in. And it's a, I just feel like... Because even just recently, he, you know, he had yet again another thing about, well, think about the cost to your users when you do this. And don't get me wrong, I get it to an extent. Just recently, I was in a project where a single email field sign-up form was written in JavaScript. Yeah. It's a, it's a newsletter sign-up. It's just one, one field. You could just have a submit action. You know? It's not just one. Oh, uh, no, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, the the framework I was using to do a form with radio buttons—they weren't radio buttons; they were they were rounded edge divs with dots in them. Oh my god, that's still! I, I'm amazed at how often people are still using clickable divs as inputs. And I'm like, I don't think this is right, but I'm not sure how to rewire this to do what I <laughs> wanted to do anymore. Because in order to rewire this, it turns out that 
um, the way you address a div in the DOM and the way you address a radio button in the DOM are two completely different things. Yeah, no, it gets pretty messy pretty fast. Uh, I do admit that there, you know, it's like there are still plenty of valid cases to say, you know, when JavaScript is overkill. And then there's some some of these sort of single page app things, which is, you know, creating all the anger, uh, you know, with the old man shouts at clouds kind of variety is, um, you know, I mean, it's like you said, you know, we've got some high quality first class app like behavior in the web that these things can yeah. do, right? And they're smooth and they're classy experiences. And of course, if for some reason your JavaScript isn't loading or if you have a very low capability browser like Opera Mini, you may get none of that experience. You may have nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So the question is, do we have a fallback, blur, blur, blur? And you can do that with isometric rendering. Uh, you know, a, a lot of the sites that my company does, well, we do that. You, you know, the first render is an um, HTML that's being served up as sort of like a pre-rendered JavaScript from the uh, client side, from the server side, mm-hmm. and uh, then it then the React inherits it and kicks in from there. Now that doesn't mean that you're going to have full functionality if the JavaScript's off, but you'll have a page, you know. Yeah. But yeah. um, but then again, a lot of the experiences that we're trying to do would be significantly more complicated without a highly like without JavaScript's interactivity. You yeah. know, uh, and I guess you know there's always these edge cases as to whether or not you need your yacht form for choosing your dream yacht. Then hit you know getting your estimate. Does that really need to be JavaScript? Well, no, no. But you know, at the same time, uh, I, I think I think there should be probably more attention spent on instead of telling people less JavaScript is you know focus on making it more um, robust. You know, building mm-hmm. good fallbacks. Uh, you know, reduce the dependencies so that way you have a smaller build. All that jazz. It's funny how um, how much uh, friction there still is in the community there. Yeah, and it, it, and I get it in a way. It's like having now worked with spas and having come <laughs> out of the and come come out of the 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 world of the um, semantic web. It does still feel weird. I can, however, say that you, we can have both if we want them. We really can. I mean, I mean, and I think the problem, the problem is not, the problem is not in spas. The problem is that when people, when when coders fall for a particular form of way of doing things. They're going to, more than anything else, use that particular method because that's the method that they know, even if it ends up meaning that they're going to cause immense pain to the user and to the user's perf- and to the site performance, right? Yeah. It's like, it, I mean, there's been some talk, and it's actually come up lately, that there are people who are actually writing JavaScript style sheets for the first time in 20 years. It's terrifying. And... Uh- it's because they know JavaScript. And why would we want to write in CSS when we could just write it in JavaScript? I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's back up to the part where CSS is getting processed by a different thread than the JavaScript. Right? Well, you know, I mean, it's like when I was 12, uh, 11, one of those two, uh, I was using uh, G, uh, QBasic. Okay, so oh, I remember, uh, yeah, remember Q Basic. Q Basic, yeah, 
Yeah. Was that when you were going uphill both ways in the snow? Right, right. And it was on a well, it was on a the computer that I had to access was a a briefcase sized laptop with one of those refractive um kind of black and green screens. You oh, know, like the old Game like, Boy. Was it like an Osborne? Uh, I don't remember the exact brand. And it had floppy drive. It didn't have a hard drive, so the A disk was the operating system. Right. And the B disk was what I was working on. Mm-hmm. And um I was I was using it because, you know, I, I wanted to learn how to make video games. So I, I I've always been making games and so I was trying out that. And I couldn't figure out how to in QBasic cleanly doing animated graphics. So what I would – because, you know, you could draw pixel by pixel with it or you could draw lines, but like straight lines, not angled ones. But anything more complicated like say a Final Fantasy sprite was mm-hmm. not natively capable. But what I was able to do is I could draw a sprite out dot by dot and then I could s- s- um, do like a mem save to copy the that part of the screen's memory. Right, mm-hmm. and repeat it. I couldn't save it to file because for some reason there was some difference between how it would be saved during one time frame and later when you came back to it. I don't know. Memory, I, I don't know enough about how memory works. But so what I would do is I'd, I would preload every sprite at the very beginning when you first loaded it. So it was like an old fashioned, you'd watch all these sprites be drawn dot by dot and then disappear. And then, uh, and then it would hold on to those and then I'd have them flashing in rapid sequence to actually do the proper animation when the time came. It was a horribly ineffective way to do it. It turns out there were much better solutions. But when all you have is a screwdriver, or rather all you know how to use is a screwdriver, you know, you can get some really weird things. And it is strange that in the modern web, um, some people don't know CSS, or rather, say, you know, compiling CSS style sheets, or for some reason believe that that's inferior to making them with JavaScript. Because, yeah, I've seen these JavaScript style sheets being seriously recommended by people. Not, like, notable people. Yeah. But by people. And it's just so weird. But, you know, I mean, that's what's happening is people are learning JavaScript. They're coming into it, and then they're realizing they need to style stuff, and they're cludging around. And they're like, well, I want to make some dynamically, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And before you know it, <laughs> this is where we are now. They they only know how to use screwdrivers. Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, you know, it's it's the whole thing about if if you ever hammer everything looks like a nail. If you have JavaScript, everything looks like, you know, everything looks like a promise and, and a variable. Oh my god, don't even get me started about promises. Um, I still don't understand prom- why promises are better than callbacks. Like I get how they're different, and I can even understand in some cases why they're more convenient. I'm just not convinced that a promise isn't a fancy way to show us a callback in a different, slightly different format. You know what I mean? I think you're probably right. I'm still not sure what a, what a, what a promise is. From what I've been able to tell about a promise, it sounds like it sounds like it's trying to solve one of the old problems we have with with, with old XHR and the problem of you have to wait. Something's gonna have to wait for it to arrive. Versus just let me know when it gets here. And well, promises kind of solve that problem and kind of don't. Yeah, so. but see, callbacks kind of do the same thing. It's just a matter of understanding the limits of each when you're writing them right Right. um like i don't honestly feel that i mean i suppose when it comes to having sort of an inline block of code so it's like you've got code and then you've got the afterwards the then and then you keep going maybe it's more mentally sound for some people but it's not like the javascript sits there it's doing the same thing a callback's doing it goes Mm -hmm. off and stares at clouds and keeps rendering frames until it gets the answer and then it does it 
you know it's not like it's locking the thread i don't yeah. think but um but yeah no um yeah yeah i, I forget where we're going now it's just callbacks and promises they get me going um so so your assessment of the modern you now that you're you're coding again uh you know um mm-hmm. have you adapted yeah mostly i mean i you know i love sass um i mean i didn't get <laughs> the thing with sass was just kind of emerging back when i was just leaving and it's obviously had, you know, seven years to mature. And the nice thing about it is it really does what it says. And it solves a lot of the problems, you know, almost as a polyfill that I've always had, you know. For instance, the whole idea of, yeah, you know what? If you want to deal with the fact that there are um, there are vendor, um, you, know, there are, you know, there are vendor attributes, um, but there are also regular attributes and you want to be able to handle everything, you just literally stick it into a mix-in. And then whenever you need to call, you know, some random piece of something or rather, it calls them all and it does them all for you. And you don't have to think about it because when we when you do get to retire things, you go and you delete one line and it automatically recompiles and everybody is happy. Um, I will say that that has made me really happy. The fact that we've kind of come all the way back full circle on templating. It makes me really happy too, because I think one of the biggest struggle, I mean, the thing that Angular was supposed to bring us was a templated web. And what it actually brought us was pain of extraordinary <laughs> levels because it was the wrong sort of opinionated. It was, there's opinionated in the, in the school marm XHTML way. There's opinionated in the classic JavaScript way. And then there's opinion in the Angular way, which I could best describe it as your racist uncle. <laughs> it, it basically was as if someone opened a portal to hell through which you had to code. Yeah. Um, and it's bad. just like, it's like you would like, I mean, I would read this stuff and it's like, well, NG include, why am I doing this? Well, I'm going to tell you all about what I think about them colored people. And it's just like, you're just sitting here looking at it going, why would you, would you just shut up? Right, right. I, I still hate its dependency injection and the way their services and factories are built. Um, and the sad part is I, I'm, I'm baked into it. Like uh, all my front-end work that is client-facing uh, uses uh, React, which, you know, um, at the very least is significantly less opinionated and is largely just there to render a UI. Yeah. Right? Like it attaches to a bunch of other things that people have made, like Redux or whatever that has a lot of opinions. But it itself is just like, look, I'm just here to make a, a div with some text. But um, but at the back office of Umbraco uh, is built in Angular. So if you want to make packages or modifications or custom property editors for the editors, you have to use uh, Angular uh, in addition to their own injected libraries. And so that's um, – it's always every time I go in, it's kind of like, oh, I remember why my brain was going numb again, it was because I was trying to forget this. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like, why is there a power drill against the side of my skull? Oh, right, I'm using Angular One again. Um, I mean, the thing is, the nice thing about React is React is not opinionated. The problem with React not being opinionated is React is like the guy who's all he does is stamp the form, and you're like. <laughs> Can you help me with this? No. All I do is stamp the form. I'm stamping the form. 
Have a nice day. Well, the funny part about React is it itself is, – I mean, there, I guess you know it's comparatively low opinionated code, but it is surrounded by an ecosystem of very strong opinions. Yeah, function, functional programming is really, really, really big, and um, a lot of other sort of you know ways that you must do things. So, if you're using the Redux store, which is currently sort of the the state manager of choice in React apps, um, you know it is very tightly focused and opinionated. So it's kind of like this sort of headache of you know you might be doing your React one way, and then suddenly because you have to go to the ecosystem for something, you're having to refactor your brain just to do it, um, which is obnoxious. Uh, you know, I love it. Every now and then, I get a project where um, all I have to do is something very simple, right? Like, mm-hmm. we just need a map that's going to render in this one div that has a bunch of links that come from this list that you're going to populate in, blah, blah, blah. And I get to do it in vanilla JavaScript. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 just a single page of code. You know, I'll do it inside a little anonymous closure or whatever, just so that way I'm not polluting the window space. But, um, and, uh, you know, I'm using document query selector, you know, I'm adding mm-hmm. and removing classes using, you know, vanilla methods. It, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's this weird zen-like peaceful experience, you know, where I feel like I'm literally just taking a rake through some gravel and putting down some rocks because there, there's, yeah, it's just it's simple. You know, you're just mm. basic you know, and, and, and it's funny how often that can do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Like even if you want to do something that's highly interactive, um, or even vaguely single page appy, you could do it in just vanilla without too much pain up to a limit, of course. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, yet at the same time it's like how you're talking about sometimes people just be over engineering simple things. <laughs> So often you'll be like, why do I have 30 different script files in order to handle this one-page form? You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're just like, what are you all thinking? Why are you doing this to yourselves? But anyway. Um, I think we can roughly call that... I wanted to actually talk about IDEs as well, but you know, we're out of time. I don't want to go another hour. So. Yeah. Well, then let's save that for next time because that'd be a good one. Um, because there's been a lot of interesting movement in IEDEs recently, I think. So, yeah. So, I, I, on this happy note, happy note, happy for once, we're on the web at squoose.me, S Q U O O S E, dot me, because I think I renewed the, the, the. <laughs> I'll have to look it up and make sure that I did. Um, you can also listen to us on SoundCloud uh, until SoundCloud goes out of business, which is probably pretty soon. Um, or, you know, subscribe to us at iTunes, which still exists and uh, points to the SoundCloud stuff. But, you know, never mind. We'll, we'll work on that whole thing. Um, if you want to talk to us on Twitter, um, the hashtag is Squoose, S-Q-U-O-S-E. I am Dylan W. on Twitter. He is C.S. Squirrel, C-S-S-Q-U-I-R-E-L, two S's, not three, and uh, obligatory Facebook mention. You know, we, we might actually want to consider, you know, jumping into that. All the kids used to Facebook again. It's I think weird. we need uh, – why wouldn't we go to Instagram? I, I just want to note, okay, my child today mm-hmm. tur- turns 13. My child is now – out of the COPPA stand, out of the COPPA rules. So, so now your child can just go to the Instagram without parental supervision and take pictures of their food. 
so yes, but do you know what AB said to me? No. AB said, I don't know why I'd be on Facebook. It's got old people. <laughs> well, what do the kids use? I'm not sure, but it's not that. So, and, and don't get me wrong, Facebook has a lot of old people. My mother uses it, and sorry, mom, you're old. But um, that's interesting. I mean, I, I know that there's like the, the you know the Snapchats and all that, but like for the persistent, because I mean, there's got to be a persistent network that's preferred. Mm-hmm. You know, for when you actually want to be able to read a message more than once. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, on that note, we're still old people. Uh, so we'll be signing up on Instagram and Snapchat, and uh, we're right, and we'll run for our lives or whatever. So yay! Find us on Mastodon. That's getting big right now. Yeah, I guess Mastodon might be the next thing to do, but we haven't done that yet. So there you go. <laughs> all right, all right, sorry. All right, so yeah, I, I I'm Dylan Wilbanks, and I'm Kyle Weems, and this has been CS. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just giving my my hash. Okay, ready, ready. Once again. I'm Dylan Wilbanks. And I'm Kyle Weems. And this has been Squirrel and Moose. Have a good week. And have a great night.